This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Good morning. Welcome to Christian Chapel. My name is Titus Schmidt, and I have the opportunity and the privilege to serve as the youth and the young adult pastor here at Christian Chapel. If, uh, love you guys. If we, uh, if we had the time, I would love to meet every single family who has a student uh, in 7th to 12th grade. So if you have not had that opportunity to meet with me or my wife, we'd love to make that happen. If you're a young adult and you're not exactly sure if you belong in the young adult ministry, you want some specification on that, just talk to me, and I will let you know 100% for sure one way or the other. Uh, I'm going to take a quick moment just to honor Pastor Chris and Angie. Uh, Thank you so much for leading Christian Chapel and our staff. Uh, There's just such a culture of honor here, as you saw with Pastor Amy, and it's just wonderful to be a part of this awesome church body. We're going to be talking this morning about a topic that the Lord has been putting on my heart, specifically over the last couple weeks, but really been teaching me over these last handful of months. The title of the message this morning is Foundational Faith. Foundational Faith. We are going to be talking about the story of Abram, and really this story is applicable to all of our lives because there are moments and there are seasons when our faith ebbs and flows, when our faith is high and when our faith is low, and we need an increase of faith. I think back to my college years. The second year at Oral Roberts University at 19 years old. There we are. (laughs) Although this isn't really a hype up moment to follow. My wife Rachel rejected me twice, but hey, yeah, (laughs) no, we love her, we love her. (laughs) Because two years later, two years later, uh, we sealed the deal and we love each other and it's awesome. But during those dark years, that's what I call them, that's what I refer to them, my faith was decreased. I had asked the Lord for an increase in my faith in those seasons. Uh, Fast forward a couple years, about six months into marriage, we were living on my teacher's salary. She was finishing full-time graduate school, about to make the big bucks, right? And we were moving paycheck to paycheck, month to month, seeing that savings account dwindle. But at the entire time, we were pressing in and having faith that God was going to provide for our needs. I also understand when we talk about faith in the context of church, we can sometimes be triggered by one of two things. I can have whatever I want, and faith is not necessary because God has already determined it and figured it all out. We're going to look at the biblical example of faith, and there's stories all throughout the scriptures, but let's take a look at the story of Abraham, the call of Abraham, who at the beginning of our journey today isn't even called Abraham, he's called Abram. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, if you have your Bibles, turn there, it'll be on the screen as well, says this, the Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Right off the bat, we see something, and that's faith is uncomfortable. Nothing about what God just spoke to Abraham is comfortable. First, he tells him, from your country. I recognize in the room this morning, not only in this service, but in our first service, we have a lot of people here at Christian Chapel who aren't even from the United States, let alone be from Tulsa. A lot of us are 
Tulsa immigrants, right, coming from the northern part of the country, Wisconsin, Minnesota, right, but a lot of other places of the country we're coming from, but a lot of us in the room today come from entirely separate countries. The culture is different. The language is different. How people act is totally different, and this is, story, this is the Abraham story. This is the story of Abram that we see played out for us in Genesis 12. Secondly, we see that he's called from his people, the culture he knew, the community that he had, where everything was familiar, where everything was known, where everything was understood, and he had a good context of who everybody was. And lastly, we see that Abram, from the call of God, is called from his family. And these are the people that are nearest and dearest to him. I know there's people in the room You've been called by God to come to Tulsa. You've been called by God to come to Christian Chapel. And that's meant saying goodbye to your family. I promise you the story of Abram can really speak to that situation and that circumstance this morning. Because the call of Abram is one of uncomfortability. And when I think about being called in response to faith, I think what a blessing. If I was always, and I know many in the room can speak to this as well, if we always stayed in spots and positions and spaces and places where we were always comfortable, there would be no growth. There would be no extension of our faith. And this is exactly what we see in the story of Abram. Thank God for the uncomfortable because it shapes us. Now, me as a type A personality, I know who can sympathize with me in the room. Any type A personalities? Just like three. Okay, cool. <laughs> we'll three get lunch afterwards and we'll have a good time. I, if God called me to go just head west, Titus, I will show you where you are to go. We see this is how he starts off his conversation and his call to activation of the faith of Abram. We see that this is a pretty daunting task. If you just called me to go to, hey, just go to Europe. I'll show you exactly what to do and exactly where to go. Or just head to Africa, Titus. Just head out west, Titus. You'll figure it out. That would be a daunting thing. Yet we see Abram in his faith stepped in to what God was calling him to do. And this isn't just the Abram that we can sympathize with. It's the Abraham that we can sympathize with. It's not just the God of Abraham that calls him. It's the God that we serve that calls us as well. Genesis chapter 12, let's continue reading verse 2 to 3, says this. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. It's always to our benefit when God calls us to activate our faith, but more importantly, it's always to the benefit of others. Always to the benefit of others. This is where I want to talk this morning on the fact that faith is a tool to build the kingdom. Say that again. Faith is a tool to build the kingdom. God's call to action through faith is not to leave you out to dry. That's not what God does and that's not who God is. His call to action is always to bless you. But even greater than that, it's to bless others around you. We have all been blessed with opportunities, with spaces, with unique giftings and callings that the Lord has placed in our hearts and in our lives. But the important thing is that we activate our faith and we pursue the things that God's called us to because he's worthy of it. 
we can see how these responses can be both positive and negative. I'll just speak to my life really quick. I was a very mediocre quarterback on a very mediocre football team in high school. Little 3A, small town Minnesota. How many of y'all played football at some point in your life? High school, I'll count fifth and sixth grade rec league. That's fine. All right, anybody? Okay, cool, cool, cool. So I was super mediocre, yet the Lord gave me a platform in that space as a team captain, as the quarterback on my football team, to speak into these guys' lives, to live how I knew the Lord was calling me to live, and to call out things in these guys when I knew that they weren't living to the standard that they could. And what did I do most of the time? I didn't answer the call. God gave me that opportunity, God gave me that space, and time and time again, I stepped back from the opportunity to fulfill that calling and to walk in the faith that I knew God would use me to speak through them. Now, on the other end of that, we can respond positively. I have such the honor and the privilege of serving with some amazing leaders and student leaders in chapel youth week in and week out. And to see them answer the call of God in their lives to activate their faith and use their giftings and use their blessings on a weekly basis to activate and to grow the kingdom of God, not to build their own kingdom, but to advance the gospel is truly inspiring. This can work out one of two ways. If we see faith as a tool to build the kingdom, we have to be activated in it to actually get the work done. And this analogy of a tool can be used in a direct metaphor. If we have a tool that we use pretty frequently, whatever you want to imagine the project is, whether it's carpentry or you're working on a car, the tool is sitting up there on the top shelf. If it's dusted, if it's sitting at the back, it's never going to be used. It's not a useful tool. Sometimes we can treat our faith this way. We really only pull that tool out when we really need it. But our faith as we pursue the call of God in our life, should be tattered, it should be worn, it should be used, it should be scuffed up, it should be marked. This doesn't mean that every other month God is going to call you to leave the country. This doesn't mean that every other week he's going to call you into a job. But what it does mean is when we use the spaces and the places and the opportunities where we know the Lord is speaking to us in, we take those opportunities, we activate our faith, and we trust that God is going to work through them. Not for the glory of us, but for the glory of the Father. We see this in the story of Abram. His faith ultimately is a tool and more appropriately a weapon to build the kingdom of God. Now, this faith doesn't happen without the faith that those gifts can do just that. Bless and help other people. It's important to remember when we're called by God to activate our faith, this isn't to build a brand. It's not to make a person famous. It's not to gather an Instagram following. It's not to do any of these things, fill a bank account, establish a presence, be well connected. It's simply about surrendering to God and building the kingdom. Responding in faith is not all about you. Responding in faith is not all about me. What are the ways we know we can help stir our faith and activate our faith? It's the classic Sunday school response. It's the classic Sunday school answer. Pray and read your Bible. And even though these are classic, they're powerful tools. Think about it. When you're on the way to work, whether that's in the car, driving, some of y'all maybe you bike to work, I don't know. All right, that's my goal one day, hopefully, if I live closer to the church. <laughs> Probably not out in Broken Arrow, but regardless of the fact. On our way to work, 
in our office spaces, in our homes, when we pray and offer requests to God, that's activating our faith. When we pray and make our requests known to him, we are literally saying to the invisible God, I believe that you hear me and you're going to start working through these prayers to build your kingdom, to influence lives, to spread your gospel. When we go to the scriptures, we believe that this is the living word of God and it's applicable to us today, that it's not just a a bunch of dead words in a history book that we're reading. It is history, but it's also life to us. When we go to the scriptures and we expect to receive something from it, we are activating our faith in that. And that's how God's intended us to do so. So we've seen already, faith is uncomfortable, yet faith is a tool. Let's take a look at what Abram actually responded with. God's painted an uncomfortable picture, but ultimately Abram's been tasked with the opportunity to be a blessing to other people. Genesis 12, verse 4 says this, So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old, when he set out from Haran. We see in this passage, faith is immediate obedience. Faith is immediate obedience. I had the opportunity this weekend to uh, say hello, hang out with my extended family in Fort Worth, uh, Texas, and that was a huge blessing for me. It's like really my first opportunity to be an uncle to my couple nephews and my niece. We just got to spend some awesome time hanging out with them. It was super fun. Uh, one thing that my brother and sister-in-law do that I'm kind of filing away as a future parent here is their kids will get done with dinner or they'll get done playing with their toys in the living room or maybe they're in the middle of swatting at each other, right? And the parent gives a command, pick up your toys, clean up your food, stop hitting your brother, right? And if that doesn't happen immediately, they'll remind them, hey, quick obey, My nephew's name is Titus, too, which is kind of cool. Titus, quick obey. Ellie, quick obey. And we understand through this example, a quick obedience is obedience. A slow obedience is a disobedience. When God calls us into action and to activate our faith, do you think he's looking for, hey, just a minute. God, I'm too tired right now. Maybe when I have more time, maybe when the kids leave the house, maybe when I have more money, maybe when I'm better looking. No. Okay, no, he's asking you to do it right now. I also think to my childhood, the area between 10 and 14 years of age. How many of you guys remember that era of childhood fondly? Yeah? Any 10 to 14-year-olds in the room? Well, no, half of you would be in chapel kids. So any 12 to 14-year-olds in the room? So you're living this right now. Me and my brother, we always had the latest Xbox game system because our uncle worked for Microsoft. And so that's what we were rolling with. We were playing our video games down in the basement. And I'm not going to tell you what video games we were playing, because one, as a parent, you probably don't allow your kids to play those video games, and two, my parents are going to watch the live stream at some point, so I'm not going to say them either, okay? Uh, but we were sitting there playing video games, and it'd just be the classic call for dinner, or the classic call to go clean your room, mow the lawn, take out the trash, do your laundry, and a couple minutes would pass by, okay, mom, all right, we'll do it. Five minutes, says it again, we respond, no, mom, we'll be there in a little bit. Pause the game. You can't pause a live match. This back and forth, right? That I know a lot of parents in the room have experienced and a lot of students in the room have been on the receiving end of. You wouldn't look at that situation and say, wow, Titus, Samson, Noah, my brothers, what obedient children. They eventually mowed the lawn. 
they eventually came to dinner. Oh, they, they eventually did what they were supposed to do. No, we were reacting and acting in disobedience. A quick obedience is obedience. A delayed obedience, a slow obedience is disobedience. We see in Abram's story, it said in verse 4, right after the call that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob put on his life, is that Abram went. At work, if the report needs to be filed, it's filed. If the person needs to be fired, they're fired. If your spouse tells you, hey, little Billy's got a dentist appointment on Friday at noon, you're not going to take him Saturday at noon. If the professor tells you homework's due Thursday, you're not going to try to turn the homework in Friday. You might ask for an extension, but that's a separate story, right? The point is that in other areas of our life, when we're asked to do something or to complete something, we respond. But how come sometimes, and I'm speaking from my own life here as well, when God calls us and asks us for the same, we're hesitant. Now, there's a distinction here to make. One, us actually delaying in obedience to God, and two, us actually seeking out and determining through prayer and through the reading of the scriptures what God is calling us to. That's a distinction there. Those shouldn't be muddied together. But when we know God is calling us, how immediate are we responding when we've had the confirmation? We see Abram is uncomfortable, right? Abram is activating his faith immediately, despite the uncomfortability. But the good news is, this is a big task, right? Respond immediately, be obedient in the uncomfortable, yet God calls him to do it in community. Genesis 12 verse 5 says this, he took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. All throughout the scriptures, we see how God uses community to transform lives. This example is no different. Although earlier we read that Abram was being asked to leave his people and his father's household, God allows him to take some people along. This is because God's plan is always to act on and carry out our faith in community. Sarai and his nephew Lot, close family members, household, most likely servants, some slaves, some servants by choice, all were considered members of the household. He brought them along with him. We were always meant to live life, to walk in faith, in community. And there's a couple reasons for this. One, because community is more fun. Community is a blast. I went to Colorado with our seniors in June. Was there any seniors in the room who went on that trip? Eben, that's what I'm talking about, all right? And that trip would not have been fun if I had gone by myself. In fact, it would have been increasingly terrifying if I would by myself as well. I was in a raft going through class four rapids with other seniors, and it was scary at some moments, right? But the camping, chats by the fireside, well, they would have been really not that fun at all because I would have been talking to myself, right? Going down the river, rafting, they would have not been more fun by myself. They were more fun because we were in community. We were always meant to live and do things in community. You might think, as an introvert, like my wife, community is not really for me. Titus, I'm not really sure I was called to the real community aspect of life. And I would encourage you, God has placed spaces and places in your life to engage and to act in community. The first and the most beautiful example of this is marriage. When you marry someone, when you are joined together with your spouse, that is a community you're forming. 
Not only are you joining your spouse's family so your community is growing, but with your spouse, there is a new community. And with the kids you'll soon have, foster, adopt, or maybe a combination of all three, that is a community you're forming. God has not intended us to do life without community, not just in marriage, in your jobs, with the sports fan bases that you follow, with your kids' sports team fan bases that you're a part of, whether willingly or unwillingly, right? In spaces, we are all called to community. And when I reflect on my current life situation, think of the church. This has been the greatest source of community. The greatest source of community in my entire life is right here at Christian Chapel. I've been here a little over six years. And it's been amazing. And that's what the church is meant to be. It's meant to stir our faith so that we can rely on one another to activate our faith as we follow the call of God in our lives, not to build our agenda, not to build our bank account, but to activate our faith to build the kingdom, to share the gospel, to carry our calling through ourselves for the purpose of glorifying Christ. In this, we see that even though Abram had great community, his circumstances weren't fitting. So maybe you could track with me. Yeah, I get it, Pastor Titus. I, I get it 100%. Faith is going to be uncomfortable. I know that faith is a tool that's going to build the kingdom. It's not going to be for my own agenda or for my own following. I, I understand that fully. I get that faith is going to be done in community. I'm not really a community-oriented person, but I'll jump on that bandwagon if you want me to. But Pastor Titus, my circumstance isn't great. I don't think you understand where I'm at in life right now. And chances are I might... Honestly, not. Chances are I probably don't. That's the unique thing about life is we all have different experiences. But what we're going to see here is God uses Abram despite his circumstance. Genesis chapter 12, verse 4, again, says this later on in the verse. So Abram went, immediate obedience, as the Lord told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. We see Abram here is obedient and has faith that is activated despite his circumstance. Some of us in the room look on 75 as a fond memory. Most of us in the room look to 75 as the future. What will be? Hopefully I'm enjoying retirement. I'm enjoying my grandchildren. I'm soaking it up in a hot tub, right? I'm doing things that I want to do at 75. I don't know what 75 looks like. I'm theorizing, all right? That's my 75. That's my version, okay? But we see here that in either one of those examples, generally, and there might be a few exceptions in the room, we don't look at 75 years old and think, that's when God's going to use me greatest. That's when God's going to really launch me into my calling. That's when the Lord is going to use me like he's never used me before. That's when my ministry is going to come into full fruition. We look at 75 and think, that's not really the circumstance for that to happen. You've acted on your faith a lot in the past, but that's not really the space to do that. Yet that's not Abram's story. That's not what God's intention was. You might not think you're talented enough, but God is up to something. You might not have that look, but God wants to use your faith to be activated. You might not have the connections, but God has a plan. You might not have the cash on hand. Doesn't matter. We Worship the God of abundance. You might not have the charisma they do, but it's up to God to do something through you. I just want to take a moment to encourage everybody in this room. Never, ever doubt what God can do through you at any moment in your life, despite 
your circumstance. Never doubt. And I can just talk from my limited life experience. I showed up to Oral Roberts University, and back then, you know, it was, it was a lot for, for me and my family to make that financial commitment to decide. We were weighing the options. Should we go there for four years, or should I go two years community college local? We felt the Lord really draw me to that college and to that university, and he provided financially every step of the way. He provides for our needs. I knew deep down in my spirit God was drawing me to my wife, Rachel, yet I didn't have the riz for that. <laughs> It's charisma for everybody over 30. Okay, Riz is charisma. All right. If you were over 30 and you knew what that meant, I'll give you a piece of candy afterwards. I'm sorry. Okay. I knew God was calling us to this youth pastor position, but I didn't have the ability or the knowledge for that yet. And yet, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about, it's not about me. I could say that twice as much as I say you. It's about what God wants to do through you. You all face varying circumstances where faith is certainly tested. Boardrooms, where you're about to present in front of a very important client. Classrooms, both from the teacher perspective and the student perspective, right? From a teacher perspective, I understand that one a little bit better because I was a seventh grade geography teacher for three years. We got that hour. Everybody has that one hour, that seventh hour, right? Crazy, okay? I had to build up my faith and have it activated so that God could use me and my giftings in that class. From a student perspective, oh man, AP physics is coming up next hour. I don't know. I don't understand that as well because I was never in the AP classes. But you guys get it better than I do. Bedrooms with the fights with your spouse and the intensity of those fights being in places that they've never been. A phone call in the living room hoping that that son, that daughter, that relative who's ran far from Christ might return. We all have circumstances that we might look at and say, I don't know if God can work through me in that situation. I want to encourage you and say this. The God who took Abram the elderly and made him the father of many nations wants to do a work through you. It's this wonderful working power through our circumstances that God deserves to be honored. And this is what it's all about. That through our faith, as we immediately obey in the uncomfortability, using that faith as a tool and a weapon, that it's a call to worship. Verse 7 says this in Genesis chapter 12, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Faith calls us to worship. Faith is a call to worship. Ultimately, at the end of the day, that's what it is. When we place faith in something, when we place faith in someone, whether you like it or not, you'll tend to worship that thing or that one. I think of myself. I told you I was a quarterback, so I idolized quarterbacks growing up. I was a Green Bay Packers fan, the most decorated NFL franchise in the history of the NFL and the entire world. Go, Pat, go. Who's with me? Yes, we got one. We had one last service and one this service. But for me, my faith, sadly, a lot of my faith, was placed in the arms and the talents of two men in particular, Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. We'll get there, Jordan Love. We're going to try, all right? 
But when it came to these two men, my faith was so much placed in them that sometimes I would be worshiping them in some context or another, right? But the point isn't that. The point is that we worship something. You're going to worship something, whether it's your circumstance, whether it's something that's actually like kind of good, like maybe it's just working out or whatever it is, but you've made it your idol. We all were created to worship God, but since the fall, we don't always choose God. We all worship something. So I encourage you, where are you placing your faith? Because where you really place your faith is where your worship will be. I encourage you, as you believe for God to work through your situation, to work through your circumstance, to work through the opportunities that he's given you, place your faith in him, not in your talent, not in your ability, not in what you think you can do, not in how great the people that are around you are. Place your faith in him. He is willing. He is able. He is greater. He is powerful. He is almighty. He's the Alpha and the Omega. There's nothing that you can go through that he hasn't experienced. I promise you that. I'm going to invite you to stand this morning as the band comes. When we have faith in something, we tend to worship it. We all have situations where we worship what we've placed our faith in. And we can't help that. Because again, you were created to worship. So I just encourage you, just like Abram in the story of Genesis chapter 12, he set up this altar and gave worship to the Lord before a thing had happened. Before he became the bloodline of Jesus, before anything that he could have done in his life, the father of many nations, he worshiped first. And so I don't know where you're at. I don't know where your circumstance is. I know there's a lot of different spaces and places that we're believing God to move in right now. But I promise you, worship demolishes strongholds because it recenters our focus, right? It recenters our focus entirely. It takes it off of you. And that's the whole point of faith. Faith is not about you. Faith is not about me. It's about what God can do through you. And it's never about what God will do for you. It's always about what God will do for others through you and a submitted and a surrendered will. So if we really believe that he works all things for the good according to his purpose, he is certainly worthy of our worship. And here's the deal. Whether we really believe that or not, whether we see our prayer offered in faith, answered in the timeline that we wanted it to, or whether we don't, he's still worthy of that worship. Doesn't, doesn't matter. He exists to be worshipped. That's why we exist. And so I just want to offer this, this space for us. I don't know what you're praying and believing in faith for, but right now, from a posture of not yet experiencing the move of God through our faith activated, we can worship him and offer that to him. So let's pray this morning. As we pray and as we worship, I just want to make you aware the prayer room is available. If you'd like to receive prayer for anything, out these doors and to the left, right before you exit out the main doors, we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to connect with you and support you in whatever you're going through. Let's pray together as we offer worship to the Lord. Father, we come before you. We surrender the things in our lives that we don't have control over. 
we surrender our will, our spaces, our places, our circumstances to you, knowing that you can do immeasurably more than we could think or ask because you're God. God, may we always be reminded activating our faith is never about what it can do for us. It's never about what we can do for ourselves or how we can build a brand or how we can establish our kingdom, but it's always to advance yours. May you constantly remind us of that. I just pray over the faith and the expectancy in this room that this worship offered to you, God, would be sweet to your ears. Jesus, that as we surrender to you today, our faith would be activated to do what only you can do. We surrender to you, we honor you, and we worship you in this place. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.